0: Welcome back to another episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. We are joined today by Janelle Anderson, who is a speaker, author, and confidence coach for women entrepreneurs. She helps women own their expertise, monetize their message, and attract more clients. With her powerful confidence building formula, women conquer the imposter within and speak up with confidence and clarity to stand out. I absolutely love everything you do. I feel like it's so needed, especially in the introvert entrepreneur space. I would love for you to start with telling us a little bit about your story and how you got started in your business.
1: I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Tara. And uh, I think... My story will relate to your audience of introverts. So I was pretty introverted as a kid, grew up in a big family, eight kids actually. And I felt like my voice was never heard around the dinner table, a lot of chatter going on. And I would end up talking to the wall because nobody would listen to me. It became a family joke. But I was so frustrated because I'm trying to speak and I'm trying to share my thoughts and nobody seemed to want to hear them. That really began this, what I call an imposter story inside, just a subconscious conclusion that I came to that I was not important, that my voice didn't matter. And all of that was not true. Of course, it was just a big family and everybody was noisy and I have a quiet voice. That's all it was. We make up these stories. And we believe they're true as children. And then they begin to define us and hold us back. That kept me pretty much quiet in the background. I wasn't one of these kids that would raise my hand to speak. And all of that got a whole lot worse when I got into my 20s. I was actually 19 in college one night with my roommate. And I remember playing foosball with some guys that we had just met. And then I don't remember anything else from that night until I woke up in my bed. With this guy on top of me. And I blacked out. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized what had happened. I had been drugged and raped, only that's not what occurred to me that morning. The thought that landed in my heart was that I had done something. I must have had too much to drink or smoke or something I did cause this to happen. And on top of that, I was still a virgin. I had. Promised myself I would wait until I got married. I was raised a good Catholic girl, and that was super important. So, on top of the story that I had done something to cause this one night stand situation, I had also lost my virginity that way. It really landed in my heart with this load of shame. I felt like I must be just a piece of trash. That was the story. And so, on top of already being pretty shy and feeling like I didn't matter, this happened, and it really put me on this trajectory of feeling worthless and chasing after any relationship I could desperately get to feel worthy, which I know happens to assault victims. But at the time, I didn't know I'd been assault victim. I didn't know I'd been traumatized. I just thought it was me. <laughs> that continued through my 20s and actually got worse at the age of 23 when my boyfriend Decided we had gone to Las Vegas. We were on our way to California, but in Vegas, he decided that I should make money from my beauty. So he began to traffic me. And at the time, I didn't think I was being trafficked. Nobody talked about sex trafficking then. I just thought, well, here I am, even more of a worthless woman, because now I'm selling my body for money in order to keep my boyfriend. (laughs) So that went on for three years. This shame storm, basically that I was in and this trauma that I lived in just continued night after night for three years. I felt I was worthless. I felt I was ruined. Who would ever want me? How could I ever be a school teacher, which had been my dream. And I just thought I'm trapped. This is it. And so at the age of 26, this is where I was at just living this life. I hated one night things got really bad. We got into a horrible argument He wasn't usually physically violent, but that night he had me on the floor in a chokehold with this look in his eyes, like I thought you know the devil had taken him over because he wasn't there. It was just this horrible, evil look in his eyes. But suddenly he came to himself and he ran out of the apartment. And I called my mom in just this desperate cry for help. My parents did not know what I was doing and how I was living, but my mom immediately just invited me to consider the fact that maybe Jesus wanted me to come back home to him and have peace. (laughs) I didn't think that God could still love me. In my state of mind, I was ruined. I was a horrible person, but I was desperate for that feeling of home and peace. So I prayed with my mom and I immediately felt a sense of peace. I felt this strength in me that, you know what? I can stand up for myself. I don't have to do this anymore. It was very sudden. All that time I had been under this manipulation and just these uh, mind games that he had played, he was very manipulative, very convincing. And I was under that. You, you come under this thing when you're in somebody's control like that. There's a thing called trauma bonds, which I didn't know about at the time, but I know about now, which totally explains why I was in that relationship and why I stayed in that relationship. But in that moment, I knew, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I refused to. And no matter what he tried, I did not. I moved back home to Virginia, but I was pretty shut down. I was emotionally disconnected. I didn't have a voice. I just stowed all that away, everything that had happened from the rape and through all the trafficking. And I just packed it all up in boxes and put it in a room and closed the door and thought, well, if I just forget about this and never tell anyone, then it'll just go away. It won't affect my life. For the next 30 some years, it actually did affect my life. In my 50s, I came to this point where I was like, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. I did have a career teaching and I did have a couple of businesses that my husband and I ran. At this point in my life, I was working for a university. I realized I wasn't happy. I realized how much time had gone by very quickly in my life. And I kind of hit this wall. I realized that if I really wanted to fulfill my purpose in life and define what I'm passionate about, I needed to do something about this wall and I didn't know what it was. Through a series of events and experiences, I really was led to the knowledge that my past was still impacting me. It was still holding me back. I was still plagued by those imposter stories that I wasn't good enough, that I was not worthy, that my voice didn't matter. And I had been holding myself back all those years. So that room with (laughs) all the past stowed away in it was still impacting me and holding me back. I went through a period of counseling finally, because I hadn't told anyone about any of that all that time. We went into that room, we unpacked it all, we processed it all. I wept, I let the emotions out, I forgave, and I began to discover this confidence It just began to emerge because in the process, I began to see myself, my true self who had been buried under the shame and had not even been visible to myself. Well, she began to emerge and I began to look back at my younger self with compassion instead of being ashamed of her. That allowed me to begin to embrace my true story, own my story and embrace my true gifts and who I truly am. And see that I was never worthless. I just started speaking in places I hadn't spoken before. And I began to have this desire. I discovered coaching. And so I just had this strong desire to build my own business and begin to help other women. So at the age of 61, I started my coaching business. I was trained and certified, and off we went. <laughs> During that whole time, from the time I began to process through all the stuff, I Found myself at one point like, hey, I feel like I am coming out on center stage of my own life as the real me for the first time ever. It was an incredible feeling. And I began to speak up and own my story and share my story and coach other women. So here I am. (laughs) That was seven years ago I started my business, but I'm still doing what I love and just really thrilled. I just published my book, which actually has my story in it. That was a whole process in itself, but I feel like I have become the star of my own story for the first time. There's been this complete shift from this timid, traumatized woman who couldn't speak up to now I'm a confident coach, speaker, and author. So here I am. That is so
0: powerful. I love that you've really been able to work through all the trauma and Come out like this strong, confident woman on the other side, who, like you said, your book is called The Star of Your Own Story. That's so powerful.
1: Yes, thank you. It's been a journey for sure. And I say this a lot it's the journey itself that really develops you, and your purpose is kind of unveiled as you go along. I think a lot of times people are like, I want to know my purpose right now, and I don't feel like I have a purpose. But you do. It's just, being unveiled as you go through your journey. Don't try to rush through the journey. Look for the treasures that are there. Look for how you are developing because I didn't get here overnight and it was tough a lot of times, but it's a lot of times those tough trials that you go through, the struggles that you go through where your genius begins to shine and where you discover the treasures of who you are. You know, diamonds are not formed just sitting there, they are formed under tremendous pressure and heat. And then this beautiful gem appears. And that's kind of how I think about it is that, yes, it was a long journey, but I'm really glad that I did go through it. And I'm glad that I decided to face the past, and look at the impact of my past, because I think that's where a lot of people, especially women, I did not want to go there. I resisted it for the longest time, even when I realized that I needed to. Because I was afraid. I was afraid to face the emotions. I was afraid to feel them again. I was afraid to think about those memories and bring them up and talk about them. But I discovered that once I said yes to that process and yes to really finding peace and freedom and my truth and my power, that it wasn't as hard as I thought it would be. It really has brought me to an amazing place in my life that I would not have been able to get here had I not said yes and open those doors. I did it with help though. I I would always say if you have trauma in your past or something that you're avoiding looking at, you need help. Get with someone you can trust to process through it that will hold the space for you without judging. Shame gets its power by hiding. (laughs) And when you bring things out into the light, shame just melts away. I love how you said that too, because I do
0: feel like a lot of women in particular We tend to put things in boxes and ignore it, just lock it away and pretend it doesn't exist. That really doesn't work long-term. My situation, like I went through a year where I lost both of my parents really suddenly at 26. I did not handle it well. I thought I did. Everyone kept telling me, oh, you're so strong. I locked away all of my grief and all of my feelings and just ignored it until it started to surface through anxiety that made me really have to go back and unpack my feelings because I got to the point where I wouldn't even let myself think about my parents because it would start to let those emotions out. So I just avoided thinking about them altogether, which is not a solution.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's tough. It's uncomfortable to feel the grief. It's uncomfortable to feel the strong emotions. I did the same thing and I learned really, really well how to not feel when I was being trafficked. That's how I survived, but it caused me to be out of touch with all emotions. So when I hit that wall in my 50s, I realized that I was not all those years I'd been living in this foggy place, like not really connected to people and just sort of going through the motions. One of the symptoms was that I would be very sensitive to anything that felt like any kind of rejection or if people wouldn't notice me or talk to me or interrupt me or any, the slightest thing I would just completely shut down because I would feel completely rejected. I was very sensitive, even with friends and family to anything like that. It was because I was afraid of feeling strong emotions. I wasn't able to process any of it. And I felt like this person that nobody wanted to be around anyway, if anything even came close to looking like rejection or like people didn't like me. It was really extreme. The other thing I noticed was that I wasn't able to express emotions. I could feel them for a few minutes. Say you're watching a movie and everybody's crying, right? So a tear jerker. And I would start to feel that coming up. And then it would be like a veil would drop and it would just completely go numb. No matter how hard I tried to feel anything, there was nothing. My friends would say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm crying. I cry all the time. And I would think, oh, I wish I could cry. It's such an interesting
0: coping mechanism though, because in the moment, shutting down those feelings and going through the motions probably is. Something that almost comforted you while you were going through the trauma, but then after you really have to relearn how to deal with emotions again.
1: You really, really do. And to not be afraid of them, that emotions are not good or bad or right or wrong. They just are. And they're a part of being human. They have their purpose. So I had to really be consciously aware of allowing emotions to come and notice when I was shutting them down and just consciously allow them, sit with them and say, no, I'm going to feel this. I remember when my mom passed away and it was sudden, we weren't expecting it. And the grief was intense and overpowering. I remember sitting in the hospital room. They had disconnected her from life support and the whole family was gathered and everybody was crying. And I felt the grief. And I remember consciously thinking, I'm going to let this grief come. I'm going to sit with it. I'm going to let it flow no matter what it looks like or feels like. And it did, it came like a river and it just poured out of me. I didn't try to stop it. That was probably one of the first times that I'd felt an allowed strong emotion in all those years. And that was a part of the healing really.
0: I know for me, it was first with my mom, it was like, I have to be strong for my dad. And then when my dad passed away, it was okay. Now I'm angry at the world, first of all, because this just isn't fair to have them both in 10 months. And then it was, I have to be strong for my brothers. So I always put myself last and felt like I had to put those walls up and I had to not actually feel the emotions because I knew that if I did, they would probably overpower me for a little bit. It's an interesting thing how not dealing with those emotions months later eventually started manifesting through anxiety it was because I just shoved everything down for so long
1: that eventually it had to come to the surface yeah it does it has to it doesn't go away (laughs) as much as you think it's going to but probably feeling like you had to be strong for your dad and then your brothers probably was your coping mechanism to not feel it. Like I can't feel this right now because I'm helping. And as women, I think we do that a lot. We're nurturers and we feel like we need to be there for everyone else, but then we neglect ourselves and we think we're being really of service. We're compassionate and all of that, which we are, but we have to also show that towards ourselves. Otherwise we're going to end up getting burned out. And like you said, anxiety or, or some other way that it'll manifest in our lives, we're not really helping our loved ones (laughs) by doing that. It helps our loved ones much more if we actually allow ourselves to be who we are and to take care of ourselves and allow ourselves to grieve or whatever the emotion is that we need to feel in that moment. So going into
0: imposter syndrome, because I know that's something a lot of entrepreneurs in particular struggle with, just with social media and all of the digital information overload. And there's so many competitors out there. What are your top tips around somebody who is struggling with imposter syndrome and how to deal with it or overcome it as a business owner?
1: That's a big one. There's been a lot of research around imposter syndrome and they found that women suffer from it a lot more than men. Even women who are successful, who've Moved up in their career and they have positions of leadership or women who are running successful businesses. I know many who are still suffering from imposter syndrome, even though outwardly they are successful, but they don't feel it inside. It really has to do with how you see yourself. Totally. It doesn't have anything to do with the outward achievements. It has to do with how you see yourself. So there's a lot of things you can do. One of the most powerful exercises I have found that I have, my clients do often is to look at their accomplishments. We don't like to look at our accomplishments or we don't even realize that we're not. We accomplish something and then we sort of just breeze by it or we diminish it and think, oh, well, that's because I had a lot of help or because I worked an insane number of hours. We make these excuses for why we have the achievement. So what I have my clients do is stop And I call it mark the moment. And I don't care how big or small this achievement is. If it's something you really feel proud of, if it's something that you had to overcome or work hard at or whatever, and you've achieved it. Like I just wrote my book. That's a huge achievement. And I totally celebrated it. The first time I wrote a book, I didn't. So celebrate it. Take the time to mark that moment and sit with it and say, this day I did this and I am proud of myself. I even have women write down all the accomplishments that you can think of throughout your life, make a big, long list. Think about what was it in you that enabled you to achieve that? Were you somebody who is really good at strategic thinking, or is it because you are a very creative person, or is it because you are able to Follow something through to the end, or you're able to think deeply, or it could be anything, but really dive deep into you and your inner strengths, your natural abilities, the things you're good at naturally that you probably take for granted, but it's something that enabled you to achieve that goal. So it's looking at the achievement, but it's also marrying with it you, your unique design of who you are, and marry that with the achievement. Because a part of imposter syndrome is, it's that thought about yourself that you're not worthy, you're not good enough, you don't have the ability, you really don't have the expertise, people are going to find out that you're really not able to do this thing that you just did. And it's because we've divided our achievements from who we are. If you begin to really unpack who you are and look at your strengths and your personality and your values and your quirks and all the things that make you, you. And combine that with the achievement, it's a huge confidence booster and really, really makes that imposter go sit down in the corner (laughs) and be quiet. Then on top of that, I always say, go to the mirror and look at yourself eye to eye and tell yourself how proud you are of that achievement and name it. Get used to saying that because women are afraid they're going to be braggy and boastful when they do that. But you're not because you're stating a fact. This is what I did. I did achieve this. And I do have this strength and this talent. All of us have talents and gifts and strengths. That is not boasting. Boasting is if you're out there saying you're better than other people. But when you are just stating a fact and owning it, that is not boasting. That is standing up for yourself. That is owning your story. It's standing in your place that you've been given. We've all been given gifts and talents and strengths and gifts to give to the world And so when you are able to own all your accomplishments and marry them with who you are, then you're just standing in this place of ownership. Hey, this is me. And what I have to offer is valuable, just like everyone else. That's one thing I do. I found that to be really, really effective. I feel like a lot of
0: women in particular, they struggle with not letting themselves show up confidently because they are worried about feeling like they're being... Braggy or they're boasting. I love how you worded that because it's not bragging. You are just stating facts. I'll share for anyone listening too. Like when I first started celebrating every small win in my business or in my life over time, making that a process like, oh, I celebrated. I got this program done. I got this launched. I have a new one on one client, whatever it is. <laughs> I celebrate every single small win, small, medium, large win. And that's really eventually doing
1: that over time has totally changed my confidence level. Good. Yeah, it will do that for sure. Because the root word of confidence, the Latin word, it means to trust. So what you're doing is trusting yourself. You're trusting your ability to do things and to be who you are. Basically, you're putting trust in yourself. And when you don't have confidence, you're not trusting who you are. You're not able to say, hey, this is me and I'm amazing. I'm good. I'm proud of myself. And when you don't have that trust, when you're doubting and you're thinking, "Ah, I don't know, I don't know if I have what it takes, you're not going to feel confident, right? I know it's interesting. You just made me think
0: because I work with a lot of service providers like virtual assistants, copywriters, social media managers, and I find that in that service provider industry as a whole. I find that a lot of people, especially if they're new, that's the first thing they say, I'm new. I'm like, why are you leading with that? You have so much more to offer. Yes, you can share that you're newer or that's maybe a bonus to your client that you're just starting out. You're interested in learning different things and you're passionate, but I don't think you need to lead with that. That is not a confident thing to lead with. You should lead with your skills and your knowledge and your passion.
1: That's one of those diminishing things that women do. <laughs> we feel like we have to make ourselves smaller or take up less space. And by saying I'm new or I haven't been doing this very long or any of those kinds of disqualifiers basically. And we feel like we are somehow making room for other people. Like we have to step aside and diminish ourselves. There's a story I heard about, I forget where I read this, but I think they were doing a study and just observing how women act as opposed to men in corporate America. And there was a meeting, women and men, and this one woman was sitting in her seat and she had her purse, I think, in the seat next to her. When a man came in, she took her purse off the seat, but she also made herself smaller and put her purse like in her lap and sort of closed her arms in to make herself smaller to make more room for this person instead of like just owning her space at the table and how often we kind of do that, whether it's physically or with the words that we speak, you know, we often feel like somehow we need to make ourselves smaller. And I think it's because again, it's that lack of confidence and that feeling that I don't belong here, especially if you're new at something. I hear this a lot with coaches. I'm a new coach, but i You have what you have right now, and it's of huge value. Yes, you're going to learn, and yes, you will add to your skill level. Absolutely. But you have what you have right now that brought you to where you are right now, and own that and come out with that. Like, here I am. I am a coach, I am a VA. And you come to that place because you have certain skills in place already, obviously, whether you've went through training or you developed those skills on the job and now you're owning it in your own business, you have a set of skills. You have some experience. Own that and be confident in that space that you're at, knowing that you're going to grow and get even better, but you're not there yet. You're right where you are. I think that helped me a lot. It's just like owning where I was as a new coach that I was getting great training and that I had the skills that I had, that's where I started. And I knew I would grow and get better over time, but I wasn't going to take one step and be all of a sudden a master coach. you know.
0: I find that a lot of people too, I've really noticed it because I've had a couple of job opportunities for my team. One was a marketing manager, one was a virtual assistant, and so many people would fill out the form and the first sentence they would put is, I'm new. And then I go to their website and it's like, they have 15 years of experience, just not as a work from home virtual assistant. They have 15 years of experience doing the same kind of work in a corporate setting. So I'm like, you are not new. You have a new business, but your skills are not new. But I think a lot of people do that too, because if I say this and I don't get the position, then it's okay. It's just because I'm new. I think they use it almost as an excuse or a cursor to be like, okay, that's why I didn't get it. Instead of showing up as they are and showcasing their skills confidently and having a better chance of actually
1: getting it. Yeah. That's true about confidence and all the studies they've shown. They compare men to women. They've done studies where men are interviewing for a job and if he doesn't have all the qualifications, typically he'll still go for it. But the woman, and I did this myself, we look at all the qualifications for the job and we're like, well, I don't have every single one of them. So I can't apply. <laughs> then in the interview, if you have a man who's really confident in himself, but he doesn't necessarily have all the qualifications, but he's very confident, and you have a woman or a man that's not confident, whoever, if one's confident, one's not, even though the not confident one might have all the qualifications and all the skills but they're going to go with the confident person. Confidence is like this superpower. It attracts people. When you're not confident, it makes the person that you're talking to not be confident in you. So confidence is really important. Leading with confidence is super important, but not in an inauthentic way. The trick is to learn how to stand in your own confidence in an authentic way where you truly believe in yourself. You're not just pretending to believe in yourself, which comes down to that trust again, trust and belief. I think what we've been talking about is learning who you are and really standing in that ownership of who you are with the experience that you do have, being confident in that. Then the other part, which you made me think when you were talking about using that as an excuse, like, well, I didn't get it because I'm new, is to go for it full guns, like, fully, this is me, and I'm confident in who I am and what I'm bringing to the table. But knowing that if you are not given the job or the position or that you don't get the client, if it's your business, to look at that as not a rejection of you, but it has to do with that person, or it could be maybe not the right time or not the right person. It has nothing to do with you and your qualifications and who you are in that moment, especially when you're standing there true to yourself. You're not trying to be somebody you're not. It is just information. It's feedback to learn from and to grow from. And you look at that as an opportunity. Well, what could I have done better? Or what's a different role maybe? It could be a lot of different things, but it's opening yourself up to it as feedback rather than looking at it as a rejection or a failure. It's really how you look at it. Then that will help you go into those situations with more confidence because you know you're not grasping for that outcome to be a certain way you're going for it, but the outcome doesn't define you, if that makes sense as a person, then you're able to be open and to know that, hey, if this doesn't go the way that I really want it to go, that does not define me. That's just information. I can look at it and figure out where to go from there.
0: Some people don't even realize the language they're using in terms of confidence I used to use the words, I can't so much that my husband actually eventually called me out on it. He's like, you need to eliminate that word from your vocabulary (laughs) because I used to just say it all the time over the easiest thing. I didn't realize how often I actually said it. And now I try not to say it. If I hear myself say it, it clicks. I'm like, okay, I just said, I can't. So how can I reposition that statement? (laughs) That's not so set in stone of, I can't rather than I'm going to try.
1: Yeah, the words we speak over ourselves or even think are so powerful. So that's really good. I used to say, well, I can't remember where I put that, or I can't remember this or that. I've stopped doing that. And now I'll say, I don't remember right now where it is. <laughs> it's not that I can't remember because I don't want to speak that over myself and over my memory.
0: <laughs> yeah. If you say to yourself or say about yourself, I can't so many times, eventually you're going to believe it about other things
1: as well. Exactly. Your brain starts to go along with whatever your mind tells your brain, your physical brain, and it will start to produce hormones and all the other things, neuropathways and all of that to match with what you're saying. I don't think we realize how much power we have in our own minds and our own thoughts and words. We need to really be aware of that and catch ourselves and change it like you were talking about, you know, just reframing that thought. What would be a better thought to have that will take you in the direction you want to go. I remember when I went to visit my daughter one year in California, she wanted to do all these things and paddle boarding I'd never done and rock climbing I had never done. And she's into the silks, you know, the silk acrobatic type things. She wanted me to do a beginner's lesson. And I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) and I kept saying, I can't do that. I can't do that. She wouldn't take no for an answer. So I ended up doing all those three things. And having fun. And then I realized how often I was saying I can't do certain things just because it was something new or a little scary. I decided I was going to, every time I felt like I wanted to say I can't, I was going to go ahead and do that thing anyway. Instead of saying no, I was going to say yes. (laughs) And that really helped me a lot.
0: That's awesome. That would be terrifying to try though the first time. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) The paddle boarding was the scariest thing and I couldn't figure out why I was so afraid. It's not like you're surfing, you know, that would be scary, but it was just in my mind that it was something I couldn't do. It wasn't true. I could do it. I ended up doing it. So you do keep yourself from a lot of opportunities when you say, I can't.
0: You mentioned it a little bit, but I love you to share with us a little bit more about your new book and maybe your star
1: process. Oh, absolutely. The book is called Take Center Stage, Be the Star of Your Own Story. It was a four-year project for me because I wrote for a while and then I would stop and then I'd write some more. And the most difficult part was actually putting and writing my story. There's a difference between speaking it and putting it in writing. When you write things, you put a lot more into it. But I finally did get it written as I was planning out the book I looked through over 30 years of my journals. I've been journaling for years and it's basically conversations I have with God and he shows me things. Something pops into my head. It's like a picture or a scripture or something, and it sticks with me and then I'll journal about it. Over the years, these journals are just filled with all kinds of wisdom as I heard him speak things to me. Then these things started to come true that I had written years and years before as related to me developing into who I am, basically. I realized as I read through those journals that there was this process I had gone through and there were like phases to my journey of coming out on center stage and shedding all the imposter stories and dealing with all the past and the lies and the things that were holding me back, all that stuff. So the STAR process is an acronym that represents these four stages that I went through. The first one was actually that waking up in my fifties where I began to be really aware that I had been just on autopilot most of my life. So S stands for stir up your soul because I went through a period of time of just really stirring things up and asking myself questions like, where am I in my life? And what am I doing? And who am I? As I began that process, And sitting with it, that's where I started to really say yes to myself. And that was a big part of the stirring up my soul is to say, I have been saying no for a long time. I've been saying no to my healing. I've been saying no to all the opportunities that I could have had or to the things I felt passionate about doing because I was too afraid to go for it. It's time to say yes. And that was a very conscious choice. So in that period of the star process, that's what's happening. I've seen this a lot with the women I've worked with as clients. They come to me usually because they're beginning to wake up and beginning to be aware of they're not happy and they feel stuck and they're wondering, is this all there is to life? That's just the beginning. And so we dig a little deeper and get really aware and conscious about stirring those things up. As that's going on, inevitably there are things that begin to come to the surface that it could be trauma in the past or stories you've told yourself or things you've believed that have been holding you back and you aren't even aware of it. So that's the T, tell the truth. That is a period of time where I began to really dig into the past and I began to surface those things I thought were true, but were not true. As I began to dismantle those false beliefs, those limiting beliefs, then I began to look at, well, what is true then? if that's not true about who I am, then who am I? And that led me into that self-discovery of my strengths. And I did a lot of assessments, personality, strengths, values, like what makes me, me. And I also went through a period of a lot of forgiving. The forgiveness is a whole chapter in my book, which is really important to be able to do. It's massively important. And realizing that By holding on to unforgiveness or holding on to unresolved issues with people or even with myself, forgiving myself was the biggest one, then I was being held back. So anything that holds you back, you begin to uproot that during this phase. And then you begin to look at who am I? Once you get there and you've dug up stuff and you've unveiled stuff and you've uncovered stuff and you've let go of stuff, then... I was talking about how that confident woman began to emerge. That's what starts happening. And you are moving into the A, which is accept and activate. You begin to accept yourself and love yourself like you never have before, because now you see the true you, you're able to embrace her, love her, and that will naturally lead you into action. You'll start to take action on things that you didn't take action on before because of the imposter stories holding you back. Now that that's all resolved, you are loving who you are, and you're going to naturally start to take action on those things that you want to do. You'll start to see what your true passion and purpose is, what it is that you were uniquely designed to do, and you let those passions begin to like flow that will take you into action. And when you take action, things happen. You begin to realize your dreams and achieve the things you always wanted to, because it takes action. But so many women are not taking action because of all of the fears and doubts and all the stuff we've been talking about. So in the A phase, you're taking action. Things start to happen. Things start to fall into place. Doors begin to open to you. And then you're moving into the R, which is release the river. One time I went up for prayer in church and the preacher said to me, looked me straight in the eyes and he said, you draw from the river inside, don't you? And I was like, whoa, (laughs) that is pretty deep. And I meditated on that and I kind of just sat with that for a while. And I realized, yeah, it's that river of our true selves, like who God created us to be is like this mighty river. Rivers are wonderful. They change the environment as they move, they carve out the path, they shift things around as they move and they carry with a force forward all that they are and they affect the environment around them. They're always moving. There's this flow and ease. A river just moves. So that is when you are stepping out there on center stage, fully in your power of who you are. And it is a flow it releases out to the world and makes an impact it makes a difference that comes as you are going through this process that naturally starts to happen and then you are a power you are forced to be reckoned with that's what i want to see women do i want to see women just step out there in their full power and who they are not to dominate but to just give Of who they are to the world and make the difference that they are meant to make. It could be something very quiet in the background, but it's still a force to be reckoned with. You don't have to be some famous person. I don't mean that, but if you are walking in who you truly are, it is a force and it does make change. You also experience freedom and a peace and a grounded confidence, and there's just nothing better. Really, when you get to the end of your life, you can look back and say, You know, I fulfilled it. I did what I was called to do. I did what I was created to do. I fulfilled my mission. (laughs) To me, that's priceless. There's the star process. My book goes through that process, but it also shares my journals and it shares stories, my story, not only just the trauma story, but other things that I've been through and stories of some of my clients. Then it has a workbook that goes along with it that you can do these exercises on your own and begin to take your center stage.
0: (laughs) That's amazing. We will have that link in the show notes for everyone to check out. And I know you also have a free ebook called five keys to transform self-doubt into fearless confidence. We will have that link as well for you guys to
1: grab that. That has some exercises in it too. It's sort of like a preview of the book. Awesome.
0: Thank you so much for joining me. I feel like this was such a powerful conversation and I feel like so many people are going to take so much away from this, especially confidence, women in general, definitely, but introverts, I feel like sometimes we really struggle with confidence <laughs> and putting ourselves out there, showing up in our authentic selves. And I know so many people are going to take so much away from this conversation. It was absolutely awesome chatting with you.
1: Good. Thank you so much for having me. I totally enjoyed it. and I do hope that your audience gets a ton of value out of this conversation.
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. You can join me at introvertpreneur.com and at thetararead.com where you can find tons of blog posts and resources that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach, where I share more introvert friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.